0: hi i'm michael Angert, co-founder of good light
1: hi my name is david e i'm the co-founder of good light what i love about beauty is the feeling of being included and being powerful
2: from new york city you're listening to beauty is your business Covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry.
3: Words matter. In the beauty industry, we are constantly searching for the right language to differentiate our products, define categories, and provide clarity to our consumers. Today, we are buzzing about the power of language to define your brand and to connect with your consumers. Joining me on this episode is my co-host, Denise Dente. Denise, you've been in this industry a long time. Has it always been so pivotal to choose the right words for a brand, or do you feel like it's been a recent spotlight? I do. I think words do matter,
2: and they have mattered for a very long time. I think the difference is that now with so many brands in and on the marketplace, it is very important to define which words you want to use with your brands. And so associating and selecting the words that really do manifest themselves in your brand and tell the story are more important than ever before.
3: This leads us directly into why we have our two guests today. As you heard, they are skincare brand founders, but they're also journalists and authors. And I think they're going to help us really dive in to this context of words and language in the beauty industry. Welcome, Michael and David.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for
0: having us.
3: Yeah, we are thrilled to dive into your background and really your expertise. And then, of course, really understand the skincare brand, Good Light. So to start us off on the conversation, I think I want to get started in the space of why and how you started Good Light. What did you see missing in this beauty space? What were you trying to solve for when you conceptualized the brand?
1: Sure. So I started Very Good Light in 2016. Before Good Light, I went to create a community of like-minded folks who perhaps never felt seen or powerful or had agency over what they wanted to be and, and how they wanted to be portrayed. And I think that it really goes down to honoring my young self. I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as the lone Asian kid, the lone queer kid in my school, never felt like I belonged And that's why I became a storyteller because I knew that telling stories, sharing stories was how humanity could move forward. It wasn't about calling people out. It was about calling people in and say, hey, I'm not so different from you. We're all American and America looks so vast and big and it has so many possibilities. And so from being a storyteller at a young age, a journalist at my school newspaper, I became a professional storyteller after journalism school at USC in New York City, where I had my first job at Entertainment Weekly and People Magazine. All throughout, I wanted to tell Asian American stories. That was my mission. I really wanted to tell queer stories, Asian American stories. I mean, May is Asian American Heritage Month. And back then, no one was really celebrating it. No one knew that May was AAPI Heritage Month. And I was the only one celebrating it in my newsrooms. And I was like, why am I the only person you know, here talking about this, but it took a decade. And I feel like now it's undeniable. Everyone's celebrating, you know, this month, which is so important. But that being said, one person can make a change and one person can truly spark a fire. And that's what Good Light's all about. Very Good Light was started after I was at Mashable. I was a journalist there. I started uh, the beauty and fashion verticals. But it was after a story on 11 trans teens which was styled by Nicola Formichetti, Lady Gaga's good friend and stylist, that I thought that I wanted to do something full time. And it goes back to my entire ethos of being a reluctant advocate and activist. And I was like, wow, this story in 11 trans teens, I learned so much from these young people. They were so empowering with being brave about their stories. And this wasn't even so long ago, but back then we weren't having conversations around young trans teens. And when that story, that beautiful story published, it went viral and so many people read it, shared it with their families. I got a text message from a friend that said that he rekindled with his trans sister because they connected over that story. And it was so powerful for me. And I understood that that's what my mission was. I wanted to do this full time. I wanted to talk about what no one else wanted to talk about. And I wanted to uplift communities that no one was uplifting. And that story got my first two Webby nominations. I got my first GLAAD nomination, but more so I felt empowered to start Very Good Light. So Very Good Light started in October of 2016. Our first two stories were on Sikh American men and why we fear turbans in the Western world when in India they're a symbol of royalty. Our second story that we did was a compelling story on Muslim American youth in a Trump-fueled era, what that meant to be Muslim and young. And we continued to write stories that no one else was doing. All along, I wanted to engage my community. And all along, I wanted to understand what we wanted. And it is a beauty website. Beauty has always pushed culture forward, has always been a vehicle for political change. And so I knew that through beauty, we could have these conversations. And one day, my biggest, brightest dream was to create a space and a beauty brand that people could talk about and that didn't have to be so by the binary and wasn't hyper feminine, wasn't hyper masculine. And was something that just existed because all skin is skin. Think about how jarring it is going down the beauty aisles of any store. There's a hyper feminine women section, cosmetics, fem, and then there's a hyper masculine section, and there's that distinct binary, right? It's like men, we shave, we have beards, and women's like we are super feminine, we have to wear lipstick. For me, it's like, well, let's go back into history everyone always empowered themselves with beauty, right? Pharaohs, warriors, assassins, kings, leaders, they adorned themselves in a beautiful way because it was a part of power and expression. So why is it that today, especially with the rise of Gen Z, especially when it comes to democratizing self-expression, why do we still have separate beauty sections? And that was a thesis and that was a question that always came up with me and my community since 2016. And then finally, in 2019, Michael Engert called me out of the blue and was like, I think that we should start something. I know that you said that you wanted to do this beauty thing. Are you still wanting to do it? And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. We embarked on this journey since 2019.
2: So, Michael, what sparked you to make that phone call?
0: First off, my wife told me she was pregnant with twins. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was immediately, you know, kind of took a step back and said, what do I really want to be doing with my life? And as David mentioned, we had always connected and I loved what he was doing at Very Good Light. I don't know that I had this attitude back then, but I think in working with David in launching Good Light and really just benefiting from the community that Very Good Light had, it really is true. Beauty can be... Disruptive. It can be empowering. We know that the beauty industry and the standards that they present can also be harmful. But I think the way that we think about beauty, when everyone is included, it can be transformative. And I think getting back to now three years old and three month twins, they're definitely going to grow up in a very good light world. And I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to be a part of that. It's not going to be the world that we all grew up in. And so I somehow now find myself in a full-on beauty household because my wife works at Estee Lauder. We have so much product in our our cabinet. I just think the beauty industry can be just really exciting and I'm happy to be a part of it.
3: I think what we love, one of the things we love about this industry is that it can be disruptive quickly, which is what Good Light has come in to do. Can you provide clarity because you've used both Good Light, which is a skincare brand, and then a Very Good Light Can you help us navigate is a very good light, the community and the platform, and then good lights a brand. How do we differentiate the two?
1: Yeah. Very Good Light is a beauty publication and it's independent and reviews and in-depth interviews, cover stories on celebrities. And then Good Light was formed from our community at Very Good Light. Good Light is our beauty brand. We have a clean, vegan, sustainable, made in South Korea, hypoallergenic beauty brand with six SKUs. And that launched in 2021 in March. And that was informed by our community at VeryGoodLight.com.
2: Let's talk about that piece about being informed and engaging your community. Dying to talk about that and the beauty influence that it has on politics and that piece, because I find this fascinating part of your story.
1: Sure. I mean, I think that when we launched Very Good Light in October 2016, I think that many people were interested in it, so much so that I was in the style section on the day of launch in the New York Times, right? So you open the page of the style section, you see this person, they chose the ugliest photo of me, by the way, (laughs) I will never forget that. They took 200 photos and looked fine. They chose the ugliest photo of me. But that aside, I think that it was no longer just a hobby. And I think the industry was like, wow, this is a new voice. And why hasn't there have been a publication like this redefining masculinity, talking about how you know men and mask identifying folks can also be in beauty and that they've also used beauty products for ages. When I say beauty has been political, it always has, right? From women who were told to wear lipstick during World War I and World War II to be cheerleaders for men abroad, to Black Americans who grew out their hair as a means of not only self-expression, self-love, but pushing against the anti-Black sentiment in the 1960s and 70s with the rise of the Black Panther movement and the rise of Black power. And the same goes for so many different cultures. I mean, we can go on and on throughout history, but I think that beauty, it's interesting because how you look and how people view you and how you express yourself is innately political. Think about young queer kids and expressing themselves or, or people who are gender nonconforming, like men who are gender nonconforming and perhaps wear heels and eyeliners and, and lipstick. That is somehow tied to your political affiliations and what you believe in and how you see the world and how the world sees you. And so I don't think there's a breaking up anytime soon when it comes to beauty and politics and power. And that's why I think that the beauty industry is so empowering, impactful, and important. And I always say this, you know, beauty isn't curing cancer, but what it is doing, it's allowing someone to live another day, to feel empowered, that they want to live another day. And that they want, they're so inspired that they want to continue pressing on to inspire others. And I think that's what we're doing continually, continuously every day here at Good Light Cosmetics.
3: So Michael, walk us through a little bit. You've got this brand concept. You've got this big message, a community of people that have really given feedback and voice. How do you edit? Because I think when you have a community that's giving you so much great feedback, How do you start to decide what really matters, what you're listening to, because we know it can be very polarizing in the community? So, how did you edit to get to the point where you have six products and a very clear message?
0: I think you edit through lots of filters and layering, right? So, our community may, of course, want three different things if we're talking about beauty products. But I think the reality, of course, is, well, we need to make sure that what they want to be developed by us in a way that is cost effective, right? In a way that helps a very small entity to scale and punch above its weight. And so we, from a business standpoint, we take our community feedback, our customer surveys, now that we have product customers, and we pair that with some things that are maybe more traditional, the insights that are coming from the beauty industry, from kind of macro consumer behavior, but then we do have this wonderful editorial platform. So we can also write articles about any category of product, any ingredient stories, any kind of trend that's happening within beauty or skincare. And we pretty much instantly get feedback on what that reader's consuming, where they're going on the page, And then maybe if we're featuring other brands and products, because Very Good Light also does reviews, we can understand which brands and which products that people are clicking through and eventually purchasing at their local Alta. So when it comes to bringing the beauty products to life, there's a few different steps that we undertake. I think when it comes to editing, that for us is a position that we've taken, and it's one of just being a bit more thoughtful. I think we want to develop products that are the best products in the category. Whether or not everyone knows about them is another matter because we're still, you know, quite early stage. But that's the goal. And I think from a business standpoint, that's the goal because we want to drive that second and third purchase. That's where beauty businesses become profitable and a more sustainable entity. The second reason we do that is because we live in a world that is very much impacted by climate change and sustainability issues and waste. And so I don't know that we are ever going to launch five cleansers for five different skin types the way that you once did. I think we're going to try and develop the very best individual product in that category or subcategory. And it may be for us about breadth than it is for depth, especially at a time where, of course, depending on where you're coming from, how old you are, the climate that you're exposed to, you may really want an eye cream. But then an entirely different cohort says, you know what, eye creams are probably too wasteful. And if you just use your moisturizer and SPF, you're going to be fine. So it's a bit of art and science, obviously, and and what we have at our disposal. But I do think like we're going to try and do more with less and really make sure that if we're launching a product, we can build a big business just with that one product because it's so great, regardless of the category.
2: I think you talk about a lot of things that we love to talk about, which is this idea of really watching the trends, looking at data, looking at insights, editing, focused on sell through, not just the sell to and the one-time sale. So I would like to explore and talk a little bit more about the data and the insights and where you're finding those, what you're seeing right now happening. If you can give us some insight to that, that'd be wonderful.
0: Yeah, and I think because of where we come from and how we see the world and who our customers are, and I I don't mean that necessarily demographically speaking, but their outlook on brands and products, right? I think most of our customers, regardless if they are 18 or 54 or anywhere on the gender spectrum, I think most would agree that like the binary way that we buy beauty products today is just antiquated. And I think like that's an insight that we have among this consumer group, which are all of our peers, right? I think like our customer, regardless of what our brand messages or what the packaging looks like, our customers really do reflect everybody's peer group, regardless of where you come from. And so that's been really powerful for us because what unites them is this outlook. And I think they are very much at the forefront of the changing shifts in consumer behavior how they want to shop for different brands and products, the category of product that maybe previously was taboo to purchase, right? Men with nail polish, for example. And so we were able to generate just really rich insights into how they're thinking about apparel and health and wellness and really everything under the sun. I think the other piece of this that is really interesting for us when it comes to like growth and and how we build the business we're trying to look at like a future state as often as possible. And so something that comes up all the time is sampling, just to give you one small example. And I think for most brands who have done independent studies, like the, it's dubious whether or not sampling really drives trial effectively in a repeat purchase. What I know it does drive is email open rates from your retailers out there that carry lots of brands and I know that it serves the beauty industry or those within the beauty industry. But for us, again, I think like the average customer that we survey doesn't necessarily need another sample. They find this increasingly to be very wasteful. And so the insights we're getting from our community aren't just about the gender of products that they may or may not purchase, but it's also you know things that have come before us. Are they still the same? And should we be operating in the same way as a business within the beauty industry? We have a million examples of this But it's been really interesting for us to be able to tap into.
3: When we first spoke with you and met you, there was a really interesting story that you shared about starting and really getting into good light. And it was having to be part of the Biden administration, the Biden campaign. Can you share with us a little bit of that? Because I believe it also dovetails to this data story that you've been telling as well.
0: One of our strengths, clearly from David's background, is being able to tell stories And Very Good Light, if nothing else, has done an incredible job of connecting to young people through beauty and culture. And so when we were on our way to launching Good Light, our skincare products, we were looking for a way to maybe tap into our community in a fun way, but also in a way that was political, in a way that could help us benefit from the heat of the election, a very partisan election when it came to Biden and Trump. And because we had all of these existing relationships with suppliers, like we knew that we could probably launch something that was a little tongue in cheek really quickly and effectively. And we thought it might just be weird enough for our community to really respond to it, which of course is the case because it went viral. My brother, Law and I were picking and packing these little makeup sponges like every minute for about 10 days straight as this our Biden beauty idea took off. For us, what we were hearing over and over from our readership at the time because we didn't have skincare customers was how important this election was, how beauty brands and the beauty industry should be doing more. They should be taking a side, right? Like increasingly, as we all know, consumers want to know what you stand for. Do you stand for the things that I'm passionate about? Do you stand for the things that my friends and I are passionate about? There's a lot of data and research on increasingly people want the brands that they purchase to be like their friends, right? Like, is this someone I would be friends with? And so for us, that was kind of the foundation. And the creative inspiration, of course, came from David and the rest of the team. But we just somehow landed on Biden beauty and this quirky makeup sponge. And yeah, it really took off.
2: So David, you do have to tell us about the creative side of this because we need more details.
1: Well, when I was thinking about the election and I was a part of the Biden campaign, I was a volunteer. So I was the chair of events for Korean Americans for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I didn't want anyone to know Very Good Light was behind this because I didn't want to distract people from the mission that we were trying to accomplish. So we tried to stay as anonymous as possible. And we really didn't want anyone to know who was behind it, which was kind of, I guess it came out to be a better marketing tactic because everyone was so intrigued. They're like, who is behind this? We had several articles from Allure to TMZ, and they're like, who is behind this? Did Biden (laughs) launch this himself? But... When I went to the beginning, I was like, well, there's so many different sectors that are being political. Why don't we create a beauty brand and Biden is the face of beauty? He's an octogenarian. He is in his 80s. But why can't we say that an 80-year-old could be beautiful and the face of a beauty brand? And so when I was thinking about that, I was like, hey, why don't we come out with just a makeup sponge? And it's a makeup sponge that is just so oddly shaped and just so weird And it is something that is so bizarre. I think that it'll just work. And let's make sure that all of our proceeds goes 100% to the DNC. And so we launched it. We found this weird-looking beauty sponge, obviously in Democratic Blue. And we shot it like a real beauty brand. We had beautiful imagery, still-life photos, models. We had merch, Biden Beauty merch. And it became this viral sensation. Everyone was talking about it and it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think in the first few days, we had a couple of thousand of Instagram followers and also TikTok followers and hundreds of thousands, millions of views. And it was really insane to see. And that was our first taste of virality through Biden Beauty. And I was like, wow, we know how to do this and we can replicate this again.
0: It's also funny just to think about Biden beating his face, obviously. And so, you know, there's just like something so perfect about it. We would be happy to lend our services to his re-election campaign. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Okay, so you come up with this great idea. You are really obviously tongue-in-cheek about it and you launch it. Did you physically actually ever sell the sponge? Oh, yeah. You did?
0: I still have some, I think.
3: Oh, my gosh.
0: We had all of this product shipped up to my brother-in-law's apartment and... Basically, we were picking and packing these boxes every day to drop off at USPS. That included merch and the makeup sponges, obviously. But it was kind of incredible to us just how quickly it took off. And I also just, as David said, pointed to the power of these things. Like when they really connect with the consumer, like they can go viral. And that's just incredible to watch in real time. But yeah, so we were picking and packing these boxes and we had these blue makeup sponges. And yeah, I'm sure that there are still lots of people out there that are using them today.
3: That is too funny. It really was kind of a chance for you to even test drive starting a brand is like, right? I mean, you had to product source, you had to build websites and social, and then obviously storytell.
0: Not only that, but it also helped us to be really diligent in our approach to launching Goodlight because Biden Beauty came together so quickly. And as David mentioned earlier, we didn't want anyone to know who was behind it. Like we wanted it to stand on its own. But of course, when we were shipping out product, <laughs> we forgot to remove Very Good Light from the shipping label.
3: Yeah, the sender list.
0: <laughs> right. And so, because it just like in Shopify, for example, you put in your company information to get it started and it defaults to that for the shipping label. So, those were like very good examples of we learned a lot very quickly in how to take something that had a lot of potential and just make sure that every touch point was really strong and really thoughtful.
1: But I'd like to say that we were intentional and we intentionally laid an Easter egg (laughs) for a journalist or someone to figure it out. And Kirby Johnson did. The journalist, Kirby Johnson, shout out to you. You discovered that we were the brains behind this. And she got the scoop.
3: Which is great. What a great story and what a great, just even lesson on how to quickly come to market and and also just have some fun with the whole space, the political space, the beauty space. I think that's uh it's overall really fun. It reminds me, Denise and I wrote a book called Whipfire Money. And when we went to ship it, Denise was the one actually that got stuck at the post office because in our sender return to sender address it says Whipfire Money. And we found out you can't use the word fire when you are shipping through the Postal Service. <laughs>
2: I got stopped at the post office because I had signed, you know, it does not contain dangerous goods. And the postmaster stopped me and said, but hold on a
3: second, you're shipping fire. Oh <laughs> no, I'm not shipping fire, I promise. The default, the default in our Shopify, we had the company name. So it's so fun, early learnings.
0: Yeah, what was funny about Biden Beauty was we had full approval to use likeness at the time. And then shortly after we launched, and we got way more press than we thought we would. And then Biden also had his first debate with Trump. And most folks thought Biden had done very well in that debate. And so we kind of got a tap on the shoulder that was like, you know what? Things are looking pretty good for us. I know that you guys mean really well, but anything that we don't really control and it's using Biden's likeness, like we just think it needs to wind down. So it was a short-lived moment, but... It was really, really exciting for those handful of weeks that it was up and running. But yeah, you can still Google Biden Beauty and there's still a bunch of articles about it. The site, no more though.
2: It's such a fun story. I do have to pivot back around to something that you said about sampling and brand awareness, because we've kind of talked a little bit about branding in general and storytelling, but you mentioned sampling in particular and getting trial and starting a new brand. And that's, oftentimes a difficult spot to be in when you're launching a new brand and making those choices. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on where you're at with trying to create brand awareness and sampling and those types of things.
0: Creating brand awareness for us has always been kind of a community effort, very much like a grassroots effort. We have four full-time employees and very little marketing budget. And so we've always tried to punch above our weight and really enlist our advocates, our community, our customers to help spread the word. You know, I think our moisturizer launch is a good example of us trying to be a bit more thoughtful about how we build awareness to help us launch products. So when we first launched, we launched with a cleanser, a toner, and a serum, three products that have high usage rates, but you may not be married to your cleanser the way that you are your moisturizer. Um, But a moisturizer, everyone sees as this hero product within the beauty category, And so of course you want to launch a moisturizer but thankfully my wife kind of clued us into you know what why don't you build your bona fides first with the cleanser toner and serum and we had these wonderful products that we were developing and then once you've built the consumer trust you can then launch a moisturizer and that's what we did and it worked out exactly as described where the cleanser toner serum can absolutely live on their own they are incredibly well reviewed they've all won rewards the retention is incredibly high But it was because we had built those bona fides that we could launch our highest price point, which is our moisturizer. This wonderful formula that people are trading down into every day. And it was a really successful strategy. And because we had built that trust, like we didn't necessarily have to also incur the expense of sampling of the moisturizer. Now it may mean that you grow a bit more slowly, but for us, I think samples are just frankly, cost prohibitive. We view them as being fairly wasteful. In a world where we're just not entirely sure that it drives trial in the way that we've all been led to believe. Again, I think sampling definitely serves a purpose for folks within the beauty industry or much larger brands that have more discretionary funds. But for us, it's been about let's build great products. Let's use their experience with those products to help them understand that we can continue to launch great products. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we kind of layer in these additional filters and insights to make sure that that product in that category represents the very best of what can be produced, but also where that category of product may be going. So for example, all of our products are multi-purpose and we are coming along at a time where I think you can develop the highest quality products, the most efficacious, but also make them dual purpose, for example, and still at a very affordable price point. So nothing that we have launched is above $28 as David mentioned.
3: As we start to close out this conversation, David, I'd love to ask you, what are two to three things that the beauty industry or brand specifically could do to think about this messaging that the Good Light and Good Light Cosmetics has for inclusion and non-binary and thinking about that shopping experience being so binary? What are two to three things you, you think that we could start to do to really change that?
1: I think that what we need to understand, and I think most people probably do, and I hope they do, is knowing that skin is skin and that beauty is democratized for all and has always traditionally been so. And I understand when it comes to marketing, it's easily digestible to have, you know, a slate gray packaging for men or pink for women. It's just traditionally that way. And maybe it's easier But I think that we're moving into a new era, uh, this post-pandemic world where we just want to feel authentically ourselves and we want to do so in a way that is bold and brazen and just really feels natural to who we are. And I think that there's no day but today, just like they said in Rent, but living and being your, your truth and shining a light on who you are. And if the pandemic has taught us anything is that we don't have time to just wait around. We must seize the moment and and live. And I think what I would tell beauty brands is to include our voices, include queer voices, LGBTQIA voices, non-binary voices, folks who have always pioneered and been pioneers in this industry, but perhaps has never gotten the parity or the equity. And I would love to see more light shined on my community to know that we have always been important, that we've always existed and that we're here, we're now. And so don't be afraid to take a stance. And I think that right now, a lot of beauty brands and brands in general don't want to be political, but I don't think that standing for human rights should be political. I think that we should stand for the truth at a time when trans rights are being stripped away when folks are being punished for saying gay, when literature is being banned for truly talking about experiences that are non-white, we must stand for humanity. And if that's political, then so be it. But we cannot just hide behind capital. We must do something about that.
2: Well, there's a lot more to unpack here, but that'll have to be on a later episode. Thank you so much for taking part in today's podcast. We've loved having you and enjoyed having you as guests and just learning more about the brand. If our community and audience does want to reach out to you, learn more about the brand, learn more about your mission, how can they do that?
0: You can go to goodlight.world for our beauty brand. You can go to verygoodlight.com to read some of the stories that David's been describing. And of course, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Everywhere you probably would be looking for brands and publications.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've loved having you. And if you wanna keep buzzing with us, head on over to buzzbeauty.com. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.